Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. This is Women Who Rock a podcast promoting Australian female musicians and artists. Joining me today is folk synth songwriter Emma Davis, who has just released her second album called Demons. Thanks so much for joining me today, Emma. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. I read that. So your first album, Demons, you put together and kind of built a studio in a a furniture joinery. Yes. Why did you do that in a furniture joinery? (laughs) Um, it's a very good question. It doesn't sound like the most practical choice. I had struggled to write songs for a few years. I'd put out an album and I was sort of trying to write songs in the same way, um, just sitting down with my guitar and I was just getting more and more frustrated. Um, and I realized that something that might help uh, would be to have an extra, uh, separate recording space. Um, and I met someone that was looking for the same thing, this guy called Luke. So we looked around Sydney for a while and we struggled to find a space that was soundproofed or that wasn't going to cost us a lot to soundproof. Um, And in the end, we found this furniture joinery in St. Peter's and they had kind of an old showroom that wasn't really being used and they were just wanting to rent it out to someone. So we did that and they helped us kind of soundproof it because they were furniture builders so they could help us build walls and put soundproofing in and stuff. So they were, were they still building furniture on site? So you were kind of in a smaller area of it? Yeah, we were just in this sort of side room. Um, so right. Yeah, it wasn't perfectly soundproofed. There was a lot of noise and activity around us, but I think that's what helped me to feel productive. There was just always activity going on, and mm. um, they were in there kind of from the very beginning of the day till really late at night making things and just made me want to make things too. Oh, so you would actually be there when they were... Mm, yeah. Ah, oh, wow. Often. Okay. Yeah, um, but I mean, I was kind of seeing it as demoing, so I wasn't too worried about the finished product, um, and I was recording um, and using the recording as a way of writing. And so, yeah, to me, it didn't matter if there was a drop saw in the background or anything like that. But actually, in the end, a lot of what I recorded there made it onto the album. That is so cool. It is cool. So are there some kind of like organic sounds from the background that also made it onto the album? Probably, yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, but I, and then there's so many layers to the album that I think it probably just adds a bit of atmosphere. I think there would be very few Sydney-based albums that have drop saws in the background, so... <laughs> I think you've touched into something novel. You hit on a point that I wanted to explore a bit more. So this album that's just released, it has been a while. I listened to your debut album. It was from 2010, Yes, I think. (laughs) And so I guess there's a gap between the two. I think it's a theme that's explored in the song Too Long. Yeah. And so about this kind of gap in time, I read that you said you kind of needed to refigure out how to write music. What did you mean by that? I was just getting frustrated because I suppose all the songs on that early album were songs that I'd written on the guitar. I'd written them kind of through my teenage years into my early 20s. It was kind of, you know, my first loves and my first heartbreaks and lots of first experiences and it all came very naturally. And when that wasn't happening, when I went to write the second album, I just got frustrated and thought, you know, 
how can I call myself a songwriter? I can't even sit down with my guitar and write a song. And for a while, instead of trying to find another way to write, I would just be harder and harder on myself. I wrote too long when I went away for um, for a few months down to Victoria um, and I had nothing but time to write and it still wasn't happening and I just got so frustrated and I wrote too long as soon as I moved back to Sydney and kind of got busy again. So yeah, I think I think that's where recording came in and having my own recording space because I started to just not worry so much about writing a song and sort of focus more on just recording sounds and ideas and layering things and letting songs naturally build up that way and and that's when that kind of got my creativity back and my motivation back and then that fed into actually feeling like I could write songs again. So when you did your first album you were still in your teens doing that? I mean yeah I think it was a collection of songs that I'd written you know over my teens and into my 20s. They'd sat with me for a long time. Do you think that maybe the idea that just as you go from being 18 to like 25, yeah. things just get like way more complicated? Yeah. Do you think that was kind of represented in the idea of writing a song and that became more complex as well? Yeah, I think so. And I just felt like I had so many stories to tell then. And then, you know, when it came to writing the next album and I was sort of, I guess, in my late 20s, I I remember saying to someone, I just don't feel like I have anything to tell anyone. I don't feel like I've got stories um, I don't feel like I have anything to write about. I'm pretty happy at the moment and pretty content with things. So I suppose I was just lacking inspiration. But, you know, I, I think I was sitting around waiting for that inspiration to come rather than going, all right, well, let's just be creative in a different way and not worry so much at what the song's going to be about at the beginning and let that kind of unfold. And I think that's what helped me managed to write songs again. And so maybe moving to that furniture joinery space helped with that process as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah right. I think it was key. I think um, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have written the next album. Um, it just gave me a different focus. It just allowed me to focus on sounds and recording and just be feeling inspired again. How did you find where there is a furniture joinery in Sydney? Just something like Gumtree or yeah. something? Yeah, they were just advertising on Gumtree. Like they, a little space. Yeah, they, um, they're a company called JP Finsbury and um, it's just um, a partnership basically and they're uh, they're such inspirational people to hang around. They loved the idea that there was going to be music in the workshop and um, they are the sort of people that just gravitate towards other creative people and they just encourage it. Like they helped us build a stage at one point in their warehouse and we had a, a gig um, and they just invited everyone that they knew. In the furniture making place they yep. had a gig. That's right amazing. Right in the middle of the warehouse. Yeah, it was wow. lovely. And there were those kinds of people that they would just so encouraging they'd come to all my shows and support everything that I did so it was just a really great community to be a part of and also on this new album it was produced by Greg Walker or Jay Walker of Machine Translations he has worked with a load of great amazing Australian musicians how did he help you to shape demons I think Greg yeah he's just he's such an inspirational musician producer person generally he's he encouraged um I suppose I had there was a lot of experimentation that I was already doing in my studio and he just encouraged he encouraged it and he gave me the confidence in what I was doing so I I always had him in my mind as someone that I would love to work with he's made some albums that I love and um 
I loved his style of production. And when I started to put ideas together in the furniture joinery, I started to send them to him. And he, it was kind of like he was my pen pal. We'd never actually met, but we were just emailing and sending ideas and he'd give me feedback. And he just gave me the encouragement to kind of keep going with the ideas and the confidence. And he, he's, he loved the recordings and the direction. And I think it was good to, to kind of be accountable to someone else. It kept pushing me along. Mm. Um, and we set a deadline, you know, in the future where we would actually get together. And I think having that deadline really helped as well. Because he, he's in Melbourne, right? Yeah, Is he's he? in Gippsland, South oh, Gippsland. Okay. And so that's where you did the actual recordings? Yes. Of the, but some of the recordings from the small studio in Sydney made it down, but then yeah. you kind of polished it together? Or? Yeah, we basically started with my demos, um, and some of them we left the demo there, and then we just built on it. Um, so we kind of moved everything across to his computer and then just started building from it there. Um, there were a couple where we felt maybe the tempo wasn't quite right and so we needed to start again. But, yeah, using similar ideas and then just sort of building, making sure all the parts were there. And I think what he was great for was, you know, I was having all these crazy, quite different ideas. Um, he was good at shaping it into one album that, really worked mm. like a consistent palette of sounds and kind of you know reined reined in the ideas at times just to make sure that it worked it's good to have someone to kind of bounce those ideas off definitely to try and help i guess crystallize what the overall product is yeah definitely I also saw on Facebook you posted a photo of this beautiful like 16-track tape recorder. Yeah. Uh, why are we using that for some of the vocals? It's a technique that he's used quite a bit. Even though we're working digitally, he'll record vocals and a lot of the percussion on tape and then move that back onto the computer um, just to give it sort of extra warmth and thickness. And it was actually a really good way of recording vocals for me because we would... For each song, when it came to recording the vocals, we would fill up a tape, basically, and it gave us a limited number of takes that we could use. And I think with vocals especially, it's so easy to overthink things. Mm. Um, so it was really good to just have this limit to go, you know, you're going to sing the song through um, five times and then that's what we'll use and we'll see if there are any bits, you know, that are better at certain places and we'll just work it out that way. But it was good. It was just a good way of not overthinking things. It sounds like it's another example of maybe giving you like a deadline or a constraint yep. to maybe force the creativity to happen in this particular way. Yeah, I think it's a good. I think limitations can be a really good thing mm. um, just to make sure that you finish something sometimes. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, with when you're recording vocals digitally, I've heard a producer say that sometimes vocalists will do like 60 takes of the same song. Yeah. And after you've done like 10, they all sound like pretty similar. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to have a bit of a box to put yourself into. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, the recording for me is such a mental activity. Like you have to be so careful that you don't lose perspective and it's so easy to lose perspective. And I think that's why it's really valuable. Even if, you know, you're recording a lot of it yourself, I think it's valuable to bring someone in at some point just to add that extra perspective. And I think Greg was really useful for that and just, you know, telling me when it was kind of the point at which we should leave something and move on. 
I think you need that voice sometimes. Vocals, you can just, it's such a personal thing. You can just hone in on something so much to the point where your ears and your brain is telling you something that's not necessarily true. So I think you have to be really careful of that. Great. Well, we've been talking about this album. I think let's take a track from it. We're going to listen to now a track from Emma Davis's album Demons. The one, the track we're hearing now is called So It Is. Davis, there is a really cool video for that track, which I'll put the link in the podcast description. And so the video features uh, a swimming pool, and I also noticed that the album artwork is a swimming pool as well. Yes. Does that play a role thematically, swimming or pools or something like that? Yes. It wasn't intentional at the beginning, but swimming has just become 
I just I suppose it's quite an important thing to me um, in controlling my anxiety. So the front cover of the album, quite early on, I had this idea that it would be awesome to have a lap pool. I also thought it would just look quite beautiful on the cover of a vinyl, and I was getting excited about having my first vinyl. It is a very striking image. Mm, it's so, cool. Yeah. yeah, so I saw this German photographer, um, Stephen Zoas, and he just takes aerial photos um, from a helicopter, and he sort of turns them into these really beautiful geometric images. And he'd done a whole series on swimming pools. And I saw that particular photo first and just loved it. Got in touch with him and asked if I might be able to use or commission him and use one of his photos for the album cover. And that one was owned by a gallery. So he was like, unfortunately, can't use that one and sent me through a few others. And they were beautiful. They didn't quite feel, they didn't feel quite right. And then um, in the end, I got this email one day and said, oh, good news. You can actually, you can have that pool. So that made it onto the album cover, which was awesome. So the gallery, that was from the photographer or the gallery? The photographer, but he'd worked out something with the gallery so right. that I could use it. Yeah, I had never thought about that, that once, I guess it's like if you're releasing music on a label, yep. then the label owns the music. Yeah. I guess it's the same with photos. If you're a photographer and it goes to the gallery then. Yeah, I mean, I think right. there's different kinds of deals, but yeah, this particular one was someone else's photo. But. So have you been swimming cathartically for a long time or is it something that's just quite recent? I think it's over the last few years. Um, I started to see a counsellor for anxiety and we sort of worked out that exercise was something that really helped me. Um, and swimming is something that I can do on my lunch break because I work right next to an outdoor swimming pool. It's convenient. It's very <laughs> convenient. Um, and it's such a lovely thing to do on your lunch break because you're in this completely different world for an hour. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just started swimming a lot and I was swimming a lot while I was making the album. I think that's really great that it's something that helps you a lot in your life and that's kind of the theme or the kind of main striking image yeah. on the album. And, in yeah, everyone should check out the video as well. Is it Clavelli you're swimming at? It is Clavelli. I thought it was Clavelli. <laughs> yeah, I actually moved to Clavelli um, about a year ago. Okay. Um, and, yeah, we needed an idea for this video clip and... I had the idea that, um, yeah, it could be me just kind of being messed with for an entire video clip. And we actually didn't know that the pool was going to be empty. We went down and, um, yeah, I was going to originally be swimming in the pool, but it was it had been completely drained. But that actually made a really great image yeah. for the video. So it was very convenient. Right. Clavelli's the best. It is. <laughs> I really like Clavelli. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I think it, I think what I love about, <clears throat> Australian outdoor pools is the sort of concrete aesthetic and um, Clavelli's got that too and I love it. Yeah, it does. It's all kind of, it's not really a beach per se. No. There's like a little bit of sand but heaps of concrete. Yeah, and some people don't like it for that reason but I suppose I am English so we have a lot of European beaches like that. Okay. Um, I find it endearing and I don't know, it's got the sort of fishing village feel to me so I really like it. Talking about your, I guess, the eight-year gap between the, your first album and Demons, yeah. I guess also listening to it, maybe thematically it changes, but from like a musical and instrumentation perspective, it seems as though you've added synth. 
because the instrumentation on the original album was more, I guess, maybe traditional folk, like guitar and things like that. Yeah. What drew you into the synth? I think I've just had several years of experimenting um, and just being able to play around with sounds and I've been influenced by different musicians around me, people that are excited about synth. I've realised over the years that it can be used in a really warm way and when you combine synth with really folk sounds and you get it right, it can be such a beautiful thing. So yeah, I think that for me... I've beaten myself up a lot over the years for how long it's taken me to write a second album, but I actually think that it was so good for me to have that time to just build an idea of what I wanted to create next and play around with sound and aesthetics. It's interesting you say you've beaten yourself up for years <laughs> because in terms of like the lyrical content, it's hard for me to project that, but listening to the album, it kind of seems like it was quite personal and maybe kind of an idea of being lost at sea for a while, but also maybe reflection and growth and a realisation that you need to be less hard on yourself. Definitely. Is that a reasonable Yep, no, that's a take? very, very <laughs> safe assumption. No, definitely. And I think I've worked out a lot about myself and the way that my mind works over these years. Uh, to me, that's... That's kind of how why I write music. Um, it's it's to figure things out. It's I kind of sit down to try and unfold something, and so the song will often become about that because it's me working through something. Let's talk about vinyl. Okay. Demons is pressed to vinyl, or it's going to be pressed it to is. vinyl. It it's is. It's on vinyl, oh, man. And that's the first time that you've had music pressed to vinyl. Yeah. How was the experience where you kind of first? open the box and you hold this physical object in your hand and it's your album that you made. I was terrified. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's just there's a lot to try and get right um, with these things. There's the artwork and, um, you know, the test pressing, making sure everything sounds right and you never quite know what something's going to look like until it's printed and, you know, there's always the thoughts of, oh, did I send it? the right way is it actually going to be upside down on the front cover like you know did I include the right notes so that they knew where to put things um so that was the first thing I did was just kind of pull it out and make sure you know labels were on the right sides and all this kind of thing um so when I worked out that that was all good that's when I sort of started to feel good about what I was holding. Right. And it's, yeah, it's interesting that you saw that image of the pool, I guess quite a bit before you were holding that in your hand. Yeah. But when you saw that image of the pool, you kind of had that in your head that, you know, one day yeah. I'm going to be holding an LP and it's going to have this pool on it and it's going to have my name on it. Yeah. That must have been very satisfying. It was. <clears throat> it was very, I, I think I've just grown to love vinyl over the last few years. And so that was always in my head, you know, next album, I want it to be on vinyl and I want it to look good um so yeah and people can buy that as well right through they the, can through the band camp yep through band camp okay. um it's also available in a few stores um red eye in sydney um polyester and ogene in melbourne um and then hopefully a couple others frank wild years in um Thrill. oh really yeah Okay, cool. Um, and you're doing anyone that. else that wants to sell it? <laughs> anyone listening to the podcast who wants demons in their store? Yeah, just let me know. And you're doing that independently? Yes. So how do you work out the kind of distribution stuff? You just lots of emails or? Yeah, kind of working it out as I go along. Okay. I mean, it's hard. Vinyl's not the most practical choice for an independent musician. It's expensive. And mm. if you're doing a pretty short run, it's even more expensive. Yeah. And I had no idea if it was going to sell. I don't know if I have a vinyl audience. So... 
a few people actually warned me not to do vinyl if I didn't want to lose money. But I don't know, it's a personal choice. Maybe it's a crazy one, but I just love vinyl. Sometimes things are more important than making money. I think so. I think if I wanted to make money, music, music wasn't a clever choice. Well, <laughs> the yeah, I think that it's hard to put a price on holding that item for the first time. Yeah. It is time for the segment called Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics, and I ask you to tell me something interesting about one of them. So the topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, Patti Smith, punk rock, poetry, death, and politics. Emma, can you please tell me a thing? Yeah, I thought I would talk a bit about the found sounds on the record. Um, There's lots of little things that pop up that people might not hear, Um, but to me they tell a big story of me writing this record. So when you say found sounds, you mean recording, like field recordings? Yes, lots of field recordings. I've got a good friend called Annie McKinnon and she's, I don't know, she does everything, but she's a sound designer and she's a real techie and she's kind of got me into using sounds around me and kind of thinking about building music in that way and textures and, yeah, she's just really inspired me to kind of think outside of the usual instruments that I use. Um, so when we were making the record, she actually came down for a couple of days to Gippsland. And I was staying on this farm just a few minutes away from Greg. And one morning we just got up and we just took a microphone and headphones and the computer and just recorded everything that we could possibly find around the farm and in the little studio that I was staying in. And um, took it to Greg's studio and just chopped things up on the fly and used it all across the album. So when you're running around with a mic and headphones on, it kind of makes me think of like a metal detector yeah. running around looking for stuff. Yeah. How do you know that this is we're going to record this and we're not going to record this? Just well, as like happens in the moment or? Yeah, we didn't really know. We just tried everything. There's, we actually recorded ourselves as well, like filmed ourselves doing it. It's pretty funny to watch because we just look like children trying to find a new game. Um, but we would just... I'd pick something up, hit it against something else. We'd record it, go, oh, no, that's not really working, pick up something else. Um, So things like I had a rental car and we just worked out that it had a really good slam on it, that kind of new car, door slam. Ah, right. Um, So we just stood kind of recording that for ages and that's the kick on um, Try to Love Me. It's kind of that big beefy kick drum sound is actually just a car door. Um, so things like that, just anything. We didn't really know until you kind of put a microphone near something, you don't know what it's going to sound like. But how do you, so when you hear something, how do you make the decision that like, yeah, we want that or no, we, or is that in the kind of post when you cut it up later on? Yeah, once you've <clears> sort of chopped it up, but it's just this sort of general tone. If, I don't know. You can kind of work out if something's got a flavor that you're into or not. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so then a lot of those sounds kind of made it in if we go back and listen carefully Mm. do you think we could hear that farm in Gippsland I think so yeah definitely um I suppose hardest thing is probably the best example if you listen to that track all of the percussion or the majority of the percussion on that track are are sounds things like you know a match being struck um me closing a fire fire door like the metal door on an old fire um yeah lots of twigs and rustling of leaves things like that that's really an innovative way 
to make a synth folk album, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what Greg is so good at, mm. is just sound and kind of just experimenting and textures. And, you know, that's what I love about the way that he mixes is that there can be so much going on, but he still creates so much space between these things. Yeah. Um, and he just has such a good sense of how texture works together. Great. Well, we'll have to give demons another very close examination <laughs> to see if we can hear those found sounds. Emma, thank you so much for coming to 2SCR and having a chat to me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of 2SER 107.3.